Our scripture this morning comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? All right, this has been the last couple, like dad, yesterday was obviously gorgeous. Today is gorgeous. Like this summer weather is definitely starting to pick back up. And I love it. You can tell like the people who wear sunscreen and the people who don't. <laughs> That's all good. But um, I am excited to bring the word here this morning. If I have not met you yet, my name is Darren and I'm one of the elders here uh, at Pillar. And we are continuing our sermon series through the book of First Thessalonians, right? This was titled The Gospel-Shaped Family. Because the gospel-shaped family is what we've been talking about. It's just not built on our likes or dislikes, like, such as Air Force, the Marine, Army, Navy. But I did say Air Force first. Just pay, pay attention to that. <laughs> Sorry, I have to say something like that. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. That's good. Right? It's not even on our preference of, of our chicken sandwiches, right? Like John always liked to bring up what, the Family Mart chicken. I am a huge fan of Chick-fil-A. Like, people gift us Chick-fil-A sauce. As friends, we gladly accept it, gladly accept it. But even with our differences sometimes, we have the focus of the gospel. That's who our family is built on and what Jesus Christ has done and his work. So even though our differences, we still love one another. We still care for one another because we put the gospel above our preferences. So let's pray and then we'll get down to work. Dear Lord God, loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for, for what you have done, Lord, in us, and what you continue to do through us, Lord. Lord, we also pray for our service this morning. Just not our service, Lord, but the other services on the island, too, who are, who are together, Lord, remembering what you have done in their lives, maybe hearing it for the first time of the good news of the gospel, that what you have done in their hearts. Lord, we, we want to worship you. Just not here at Pillar, but the other churches on the island too. Just to recognize who you are and give you the honor and glory that you truly deserve. In your holy, precious name, amen. All right, so as we be continuing on with the book of First Thessalonians, right, which was a letter written by Paul to the Thessalonica church. Right, and that he planted, and he really, really cared for them. He really loved them. He really wanted to write. He really wanted to get back there to encourage him through this as well. And Paul's words here, like we've been describing, is just a, just a feelings, feelings of just straight love, and care, and wanting to continue to shepherd them through this. Right, this strong relationship that he had for them during this, because he was only there for a short period of time, but he was really wanting to get back there to care for them. Right, this true bond of family that is focused on the gospel. It is beautiful. And that leaves us always with a feeling of always wanting more of that. 
because it is so encouraging. Paul wanted to get back there because he wanted to continue to be with them, continue to shepherd them, continue to grow with them. All right, as a lot of us are military, we get the opportunity to travel all the way, all, pretty much all the way around the world. I'm sure if we like, connect the dots, like all the countries that we've been to, it probably would almost cover the globe. But oftentimes, right, we leave friends, those friends that have became family, because of the gospel work that, has been, that, that we have lived together. Because a lot of times we, we suffer together, we cry together, we laugh together, we live life together. We share those precious life moments. Because it is having that gospel relationship is just so encouraging and something that you, what, you continue to want and have more of. All right? And it doesn't mean like we are a perfect family because that's not what it is by at all. Because, and we don't even have that expectation that you are supposed to be perfect. But we have put our faith in the one that is perfect, who is holy, who has taken the penalty that we deserve. We put our, our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And I think that is really important that we reflect on that in our daily lives. Like rehearse it with our family, like immediate family, as well as our family here at church. To be able to share that love and then be able to share that love that we have, that hope that we have to others then as well. So Vince Lombardi at the start of training camp in 1961, he was the coach for the Green Bay Packers. Is there any Packers fans? There was a couple in the first service. Yes. Yeah, thumbs up. All right, got, it. got a hint. That's good. I'm a, I'm a Vikings fan. It's all good, though. All right, we can, it's all good. It's all good. All right, but the, the beginning of training camp in 1961, he said a, a, a quote. He held up a pigskin, for those who don't know football. Pigskin is a football. Right, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. A football. These he's telling these professional athletes that have been playing for years, you've probably been playing it since they're little kids, live and breathe football, passionate about football. But their coach still did not get away, want to get away from the basics. Guys, we can't get away from the basics as well. There are so many who claim Christianity that, that do not know the difference between, between the different religions and what is true or what the word of God is. So this brings up my main idea here for this morning. So the main idea comes straight from this passage. It says, the power of the word of God is at work to change lives. The word of God is at work to change lives through his power. Then a question to think about throughout this sermon is, is the word working in you? And how do you know? Because family, this is the word of God. We can't get away from these basic truths, right? And it's just not, just not basic. There's so much depth to this, and we're going to be going into it a little bit more here this morning, too. There's so much depth to it. We just can't leave it at surface level. But we'll, get, we'll look into that, too. Because for the Word of God, it is alive. It is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing our soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Then in 2 Timothy 16 through 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then right here in this passage this morning as well, in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, The word of God, which is at work in you believers. So these are active verbs. This work penetrates sharper, right, judging thoughts, rebuking, correcting. All of these are active. So the word of God is active. And this brings me to my 
uh, to my three points here this morning. So the first one is our response. The next one is, is our imitation. The next one is in whom we reflect. Right, the power of God is at work in our response. And the power of the word of God is at work in our imitation. And the power of the word of God is at work in whom we reflect. So let's just jump right in here to, the, to our response. All right, so it's in this passage, it seems like there's two opposing forces. We have the word of men, and then we have the word of God. For some reason, when I was thinking of the word of men, I was probably hungry at the time, I was probably eating a sandwich, but we're going to focus on a sandwich this morning. Because I eat, I eat them, and you, there's so much variety with sandwiches, right? You could have them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, honestly, you could. They're just so good. Do you guys have any favorite sandwiches by any chance? Cheeseburger, nice. Chick-fil-A. Yes, Chick-fil-A. I know, that's great. <laughs> BLT, oh, that's a classic. All right, and then we put condiments on it sometimes, you know, mustard, mayonnaise, or, or Miracle Whip. You know, there's, I'm a mayonnaise fan, Miracle Whip. Oh, well, good. <laughs> right, but, for, but for this sandwich here, the work is going to be pretty basic. Right, there's a, a picture there on the screen. Right, doesn't that just look absolutely, right, now it's starting to get lunchtime too, which is going to be great. You guys are going to be like, hurry up. But, but let's just look, right? Look at the sandwich, right? It looks so delicious. It has, for the sandwich that we're going to make today, it's going to have the bread, we're going to have some meat, some lettuce and tomatoes, and then we're just going to sprinkle some salt on it. So when I was thinking of this, I was thinking, look, well, the bread. The bread is like, represents just life. What is maybe, like, what is our purpose? What are we, what are we pursuing? And then the meat. The meat is stuff just all about the me, me, meat, the me. Right, then we put healthy stuff on there, right? The tomatoes, lettuce, maybe it's romaine lettuce, that's a little bit healthier, I think, right? That, but that's stuff, that, the good stuff that we try to do. And then the salt. The salt is what we try to season our life with. All right, so we see the sandwich. Ready, let's take a big bite of it, ready? No, ouch, I think I hurt my teeth a little bit there. All right, because this sandwich looks so satisfying. We want everything our hopes and dyers to do. All right, so we took a bite, but our first flavor that we hit here is the bread. But in this pursuit of the word of men's sandwich, the bread is, is stale. There's, there's no nutritional value to it. It just maybe, maybe even makes us wonder why we're even eating it. Let's just call it Wonder Bread. Right, in this worthless bread, the word of man's sandwich, we are made to wonder about eternity, wonder about heaven, wonder about the things of the Lord, wonder about like, what is even good and evil. Maybe wonder what our hope is, what is our purpose? It doesn't, there's no conclusion to this. And almost like, it sticks like to the top of your mouth. And it just doesn't leave. And it just always leaves us with a wondering Why? What is the point? But now we also had some ingredients in this sandwich, right? So maybe this isn't fulfilling, but maybe, maybe this, the, the, meat, the meat, the meat will be. Right, because the meat, it always looks so good. It's nice and juicy, plump. Because in the word of men, like, I need to make sure all of the me, all of my wants, all of my desires are fulfilled. Right, and this huge heap of all about me like, it seems like it's, it's never satisfying, though. So we keep on piling more, more of me, more of my wants, desires. This will fulfill, this will fulfill all, all, everything I hoped and dreamed. 
But we see like this, it's not fulfilling. It's leaving us short. It's, it's like it's rotten, like it's broken. Right, because it just, if it's all about me, then it's just focused on our selfishness, our brokenness. It's, it's, this is a life against a holy and just God. Because in Galatians 5.19 tells us, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Things like these. I think we can see this just in our world in general. Right? The world is broken. There is a lot about me. The people pursue their own hopes and dreams. Because this is often on what is on full display. And our hearts, and honestly, to be, our hearts are almost like drawn to this pretty consistently, right? Because it, it seems good, right? Yeah, the, that meat looks so good because it's all about me. But, all right, so let's, that, so now we have the good things, though. Let's pile on some good things, right? the lettuce and tomato, because those are good things. They're, they're healthy for us, and, it's, and it'll help us get rid of the bad. Because we're trying to be good. I'm, like, I'm a good person. It's okay. In this word of men's amateur, because being good is what the world needs, because like, I'm being good. But these ingredients are deceiving us. We are lost. In our brokenness, we are lost. And Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. Guys, we can't deceive ourselves. And think that we are good just on our own, by ourselves, and pursuing our own good for our own good, for, even maybe for the good of the world, maybe, but it's just not to glorify God. So we cannot lie to ourselves. But we have one more, right? The salt. The salt that we put on. You guys have probably a good idea maybe where I'm going with this too. But right, the salt, these, the false gods, the fake gospel that John talked about last week. These lies, these lies that are like, almost like tingling and just wonderful to our ears. Like, yes, maybe I can be good or go after this, this false idol, whatever it may be, this false hope that's, that, that we think is adding that flavor to our life, but is leaving us empty, leaving us shallow. Right, those are just untrue statements. And the salt, the salt that we try to sprinkle throughout has lost its saltiness and it's good for nothing. Right? And we're often drawn to this because it looks so pleasing. But it leads, it leads to, to God's full wrath. Our sin, the false gods, our, our wonder and doubt that we try to do everything on our own because it leaves our souls empty. Shallow, tired, lost, and broken. But the word of God that, that Paul proclaimed to them was not self-fulfilling or selfish or having them earn their salvation by accomplishing certain achievements or doing so many good things to achieve it. But it is grounded in Jesus Christ, who alone is the Savior of the world, who died on the cross for their sins, and he conquered death when he rose again. Right? They put their faith and hope in him because there is no wonder about Jesus because he is what, the bread of life. And this bread is fulfilling. It is satisfying in their souls. It satisfies our souls as well. Because in John 6, 35, it says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst, shall never thirst. Now, only through, only through Jesus Christ 
that brokenness, all of that, all about me, we were broken. But through Jesus Christ, we become blameless. He delivered us from God's wrath. Right? This does not mean that we'll stop sinning. That's not, that's not it. But, but it'll have us reflect on our thoughts, on what, are, what, are working and what we are working towards, and we'll respond to it and repent and turn back to him. And then, and then the, the good stuff, right? We're not doing good now just to glorify ourselves, but we are doing good to glorify God and to serve him and to make him known. And by the word of God, we are no longer in darkness. That salt that we were sprinkled on, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not the, uh, the, the false gods, not that. Okay, because through him, we have a light for our path. It gives us direction. So Paul's message was a message of salvation through Jesus Christ and, and him alone, for the, and the word of God was at work in their response. The power of the word of God is stronger than the word of men, and the power of the word of God was at work in the hearts of those Thessalonians. So the word of God was at work in them because they responded to it by faith. So let's look at, um, let me see, let me get it here. Uh, so we'll go back to chapter 1, verse 4. So it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So Paul knew that it wasn't him that had this special ability, that, that he was whatever, it was his words that were saving these people. Because Paul, I think, was a pretty humble man. You could see it in his letters. He had a deep desire. He, he definitely felt Jesus Christ because he is the one that blinded him before too. He was definitely, Paul was definitely humbled. Because Paul also, also started his lessons, um, started his letters, it said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Or Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant of Jesus Christ. And Paul, yeah, also had that firsthand experience. And so he knew that it wasn't him that had this special power by any means, but, but, but the word of God that was working through him, that, was, that he was proclaiming, had that power. So the Spirit worked in them to see the need of a Savior because they had no hope. The false gods and idols that they turned from had a wonder about their salvation. Right? They, they were always thinking that they were missing out on life, that they missed something, but they turned and that they turned inward and to themselves for self-pleasure and self-fulfillment. We kind of see that through all Greek history. So looking back to um, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Their response. Their response recognized that they were broken. They're broken in their sins. They were lost with no hope, which the Spirit worked in them then to respond. Right? It's only because the Word of God in them that they were able to respond. I remember when the Lord first changed my heart. For me, I was the kid that could do no wrong, or at least I never got caught doing things wrong. Maybe you guys can relate to that. Maybe sometimes called the golden child, but, and I know I was super selfish. I thought the world revolved around me, like I was God's gift to the world. It's like, yes, I was all about the word of men's sandwich. Like, it was all about me, my hopes and dreams, my thoughts, what I desired. And I know for me, like, there's nothing that changed my heart besides the word of God. I did nothing to earn salvation by his grace that he saved me. Maybe you guys can relate to that. 
Maybe sometimes we just need to remember where we came from, from our darkness to the hope that we have now, and just reflect on that. So that question that I asked at the beginning, has the word of God worked in your life? Right? Do we see our brokenness? Through his word, do you see that you are lost and that there is no hope in the word of men? And that there is only through Jesus Christ that we can be blameless before a holy, heavenly Father. So what is your response? So now my second point, and how the power of the word of God is at work in imitation. Right? Because imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. Flattery. And as a kid, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but early 90s, Zach Morris, right? Saved by the bell, right? He was the coolest kid in high school. Like, everybody, he was everybody's friend. Like, I, he was able to talk himself out of any problem that he ever had. I think he had a cell phone, like one of those brick ones. You guys remember? Right? That's probably like when only adults maybe had pagers at the time, but he had a cell phone as a kid. I thought he was the coolest thing. That's who I want to imitate. Maybe picture somebody maybe that you wanted to imitate growing up or somebody famous that you wanted to. But what was the reasons for it? Typically, it's because of what? The power, the money, the status, the fame, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. Because right? their life looked good. And also, like, we are a culture that is just easily influenced. Right? There's people that are jobs as influencers. Right, because we have that attitude of keeping up with the Joneses type attitude, and we just can't be content with what the Word of God says. Because we often pay more attention to what the world says than what the Word of God says. If you want to throw up the, the chart, so this is something I pulled just to see like, how often do we read the Bible. Right, I, I, know it's like, I don't think it's really that surprising because we get busy. We get busy. Right, we prioritize different things. Right? Prioritize work, kids, family time, whatever it may be, eating, sleeping, work again, then work, and then kids, 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 right? But no, no, a lot of times for myself, like, it's like, yep, I'm going to wake up in the morning and spend, you know, 30 minutes of the time in the Word. And a kid wakes up. Or it's like, well, I'm just going to sleep in 30 extra minutes. I just really need it, and I'll read during lunch. But what typically happens? All right, work is busy, skip lunch, or just eat through lunch, whatever it might be. Right? But, and it's a, a discipline that I think we, all, which is, we just all need to work on as well. And something that my wife says all the time, so I don't think she got it from herself. So I think she got it from somewhere. But it, it says, first comes discipline, then comes desire, and then delight. So the more we are disciplined to be in the word, the more we desire to be in it. And the more we desire to be in it, the more we will delight in his word. Because as the word affects our lives, we are called to be imitators of Jesus Christ. The words will work in us more than we are, the more we are in it. And when we are studying it, it will, it will change us, right? Because we don't change this word. The word will transform us to be imitators of him. Because the Thessalonians became imitators because the word of God was at work in their lives. So the first part of 14, it says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. 
Because we remember, like, Paul was only there for a short time. So this is maybe how I thought it, maybe it went down. It probably didn't happen specifically like this, but the church at Thessalonica had this special meeting. It's like, Paul was only here for a short time. I was going to try to change my voice for this, but I don't think that'd be good. Sorry, Paul, the, Paul was only here for a short time. Maybe we should go up to Judea to see what, how that church is doing things, how they're operating things, and just kind of see how they're living life together. I don't think that happened at all like that. Because often, gospel-centered churches will do similar things. And gospel-centered MCs will typically do similar things. Gospel-centered people will often do similar things. Because they use their gifts to glorify God. Because it's not about competition, but imitation. Because if it was a competition, then it would be all about self-focus. What, what, what are we specifically doing? It needs to be God-focused. I know for our, us here in the Life of Pillar, MCs play a huge part of that. I know there's a good portion of them here this morning, but the, the Kettners and Reeds MC out in Leicester hosted a parents' night out for 60 kids, is what he said. 60 kids. I think that was just a, just a wonderful display of care for, our, for those kids, which allowed them, the parents, a night out to be able to spend time as a couple or as a double date, just to be able to work, on their conver- work in their marriage, have those conversations, whatever it may be, and just laugh together. And just laughed together. It was fantastic. So if you were in that MC, I'd thank you. Thank you. Maybe another MC could do something like that. That'd be great. <laughs> and also, I just want to recognize too the children's ministry. There are so many people out there that work there week in and week out. And it's such a service of love to clean up those poopy diapers, teach those messages, and it's sometimes Sometimes maybe just by feeding them Cheerios. But it's, but it's so life-giving to those kids. Because it is a service of teaching them, training them, making Jesus known and letting him be known. Because it is changing their lives too. They might not be remembering every little thing that you do that Sunday. But continue to remind them, just like we need to be reminded as well. So thank you, all you teachers and assistants out there. And I don't know if you noticed as well, but the carpets are super clean. The facility teams, I think, two weeks ago, two weekends ago, spent pretty much an entire day cleaning just this floor. So facilities team, led by Jared Gerlach, I don't see him, but they're taking this time to care for our family so well. And then there's one person one person that I specifically want to point, we could go on for this for like days, but Job. Job Covey, he is such a light to our family. He is a part of our MC. I see him back there smiling now. <laughs> he wasn't here this morning, but he's here. A light to our family, he's a big part of it. Like we even did a parent study, and he did a ride alongside with us. And how wonderful is that for him to jump in, be a part of anything, who just turned 21. All right, he's such a good example for my kids, and I know other kids as well. So, Job, thank you. Like I said, we could go on like this. Maybe as a gospel family, maybe we should do this more often. Maybe after this service today, like, go to that one person and just say, thank you. Maybe thank you for that hug. Thank you for that maybe warm smile. Maybe it was just a text message that you got months ago that you never responded to, but it was encouraging to you. Take that time. 
Let's be that gospel family and tell them how their imitation of Jesus Christ affected your life. Then my last point. My last point is going to be a little heavy, but it is a big part of this passage, right? The suffering. We can't shy away from it because in this world, when our reflection is of Jesus Christ and his work, there will be opposition to it, right? Opposition to his work. Notice how I didn't say specifically against you, but the opposition is against what the word of God says. And unfortunately, that hostility is taken out on those who had, who had responded and reflect Jesus. And it's taken out against them. Because at the beginning, I talked about this word of men sandwich. People are pursuing that. People are, are pursuing what they want and desire. And that comes in direct conflict of what the word of God says. But because of the fall, right, there will be conflict. The Thessalonians' lives were so transformed that they no longer looked like the world and people around them because their reflections were of Jesus. His perfect holiness, they were so different that they suffered for what they believed in. The same suffering of those churches in Judea. There's always so much persecution, so much pain, and so much suffering. I remember growing up, um, going going to church, and there was um, an African who came to told his story about persecution. I don't remember every specific detail of his story, because it was quite some time ago, but I do remember some. I remember his deep, thick wounds that have turned into scars on his arms and his body. I remember whether it was him or his dad holding up his arms, holding up an arm to protect himself from a machete coming down and slicing through the flesh and through the bone and leaving his arm dangling. I remember him, the pain and the hurt that he was, that he was saying while he was telling his story. And I also remember the tears that were coming down his face. To me, that gets me angry. Why, God? Why do you allow this to happen? They deserve God's wrath right now. And to be honest, I've struggled with this a lot. Why does persecution happen? Why is there so much evil and hate in this world? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Maybe you struggle with this too. But like the verse says, these acts of persecution do displease God. And I don't even have the perfect answer for you. Because when there is fallen, broken sinners in this world, sin will abound. And as, and as finite people, we probably we don't fully understand God's full, his full purpose and will through all, all of all the suffering and pain. Because sin does affect us. Sometimes it's even our own personal sin. Other times, right, is it the sin of others. And we feel those effects of the fall. That's pain and suffering. Maybe your, maybe your persecution is not like the African, um, African refugee. Maybe it's something different in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just being that weird kid at school. Maybe it's the weird family in the neighborhood. It is okay to be weird for the glory of God. That is okay. 
Because suffering is all over the Bible, right? If, if you think of when becoming a believer that your life is going to be perfect, right, you are most certainly mistaken because there's suffering throughout all of this, right? Even the Thessalonians need to be reminded in the um, First Thessalonians as well as Second Thessalonians too. But some of you may be suffering right now. It might about to be persecution suffering, but, but life has got you down. Maybe you just don't see God right now in this circumstance where you are. Maybe you are suffering and it's just hurting. A feeling that God is just not there. But I do know, I do know that God is good. I know that God is love. I do know that God is just and that he does see you in your suffering. I know that when he returns, his justice will reign as well, and that he is still at work. He is still working. He doesn't stop working. He is still at work. Because Paul, he was well aware about persecution, but he still tried to comfort them. Comfort them by assuring them that God would indeed take care of their persecutors. But when Christians forget this, they often shame themselves by returning persecution with persecution. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Just the last part. I'll read the whole thing. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come, up, come upon them at last. Then in 2 Thessalonians uh, 5 through 9, I'll read that here. Then this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming, inf- in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Of his mighty. So this justice, this retributive and restorative justice, that's what that is. It's not ours to do. God is faithful to his promises. And Paul just needed to remind them of that, that he, that he is faithful to his promises. We are so forgetful all the time. Because the word that he is doing is still being accomplished. His work is still being, needs to be done. And because he still is changing lives by the power of his word. So in our response that Jesus had worked for our lives, we need to continue imitate and reflect Jesus' work. Because when we imitate and reflect it, we're more likely to talk about it, how God has changed our hearts, softened our hearts through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Then we share that with love and others, to others. Right? And it's just not those who are part of this family that we share that with. It's those who are outside of our family too. Maybe it's those who are showing hostility towards you, towards the Word of God. Because believers are for the well-being of, the, of, of others. It's because to be honest, we're no better than those persecutors. He saved, Jesus Christ saved Paul. He was persecuting believers as well. Because we also just need to recognize that it's not our words that are going to save them. It's God's power that's going to save them. Because his word, because the word of God, he is able to do great and mighty things. He is able to turn the world upside down. He's able to work in the lives of all broken, 
all the lost. And we need to continue to hear about the word of God because it changes lives, even those who are persecuting believers. So my thought, final thoughts. The power of the word of God is at work in your life. Have you responded to it? Right? Are, we, are you still searching for that work of the word of man sandwich? The all about me attitude. You're still wondering maybe what you still need to accomplish to cover up about all that bad stuff. We can go to him and repent, knowing that Jesus Christ has paid it all. He turned your brokenness into blameless. And then we continue to grow in the likeness of him, by his, in the likeness of him by his word, and to imitate his love and care to others. Because when our pain and suffering come, we're able to stand firm and be reflections of a heavenly father. Because our foundation is built on the work of Jesus Christ that has changed our lives. Let's pray. Father, loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, for you are good. You are holy, Lord, and just. Lord, we thank you, Lord, Lord for the work that you have done, the work, Lord, that you are currently doing right now, and the work that you will continue to do, Lord, in the future. Lord, we don't often see it but you are still good. Your ways, are, Lord, are better than our ways. Help us see the beauty of that. See your power through it all and how you have changed so many lives. In your holy, precious name, amen.